So let's start the Dhamma talk with the Namotasa. Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Samma Sambuddhasa Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Samma Sambuddhasa Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Samma Sambuddhasa So tonight's talk is again about impermanence, the gateway to liberation. Two days ago, I started to talk about impermanence, anicca, as one of the three general characteristics. All conditioned phenomena, conditioned mental and physical phenomena, are impermanent, subject to arising and passing away, subject to change and alteration. And it so happened that last night Joseph also talked about impermanence in regard to the five aggregates. And so I didn't know that last night's talk would be about impermanence. And so you might think, oh no, (laughs) again, I know enough of this impermanence, I understand, I know. But if you really, really would understand and uh, fully, deeply realize this characteristic, then you would be completely liberated. And then you wouldn't probably be here at this retreat. (laughs) So I think some more understanding or hints towards the understanding will not be harmful. And the reason why we don't see and understand impermanence as well as the other general characteristics is basically ignorance. Ignorance, this is the root cause for our not understanding. This is the root cause why we are lost in samsara, turning turning endlessly in this cycle of birth and death and birth and death and so on. So ignorance is a basic misperception of what we are and what the world around us is. So it's a distorted view of reality or it's a perverted way of seeing things simply means not seeing things as they really are. Ignorance, not knowing the illusion, is called moha in Pali. And the nature of moha is like a magician. And so the moha magician turns Uh, upside down everything in this world or it turns things into their opposite. Of course this only happens to those who are not mindful, who are not able to see things as they really are. But the Moha magician makes us see things as permanent, whereas things are impermanent. The Mohammedan makes us see things as satisfying and pleasurable, whereas things are unsatisfactory, not pleasurable. The Mohammedan makes us see things endowed with an atta, makes us see things or persons as 
men and women, devas, brahmas, animals, and so on. Whereas beings are not endowed with an atom or an indestructible entity. And on the fourth level, the Mohammedan makes us see things as endowed with a substantial entity or as endowed with an essence, something having an essence, whereas in reality things don't have an inherent or lasting essence. Moha can also be compared to a liar, somebody not telling the truth. And so those people who lack intelligence or uh, don't use discrimination, they easily fall prey to liars and just simply accept what they say, although it's not the truth. This moha magician that makes us see things in a perverted way, in a distorted way, has some helpers. And one of its helpers is called Vipalasa in Pali. And Vipalasa, that has the nature of deception or perversion or distortion. And it is said that this distortion or perversion can happen on three levels. Like there is the perversion or the distortion due to wrong perception. To give a simple example, so when perception perceives, recognizes things in a wrong way, then it perceives a row of ants as a rope lying across the path. Then the second level is the perversion due to wrong view. So having a basic wrong view about the nature of things. And also here a simple worldly example is the fact that until some centuries ago, people believed this earth to be a flat disk. And so everything, their view of the world was based on this wrong view, wrong understanding, the earth being a flat disk. And on the third level, it's the perversion due to wrong understanding. And a simple world example could be, could be to simply uh, understand that a cup, of, a cup of coffee is nice. You could substitute it for anything else that you consider to be something nice, something good. So, through moha, ignorance, delusion, and through vipalasa, perversion, distortion, living beings get a rather distorted view of the world. And so they see things in a way that is actually contrary to the way they really are. So as I just said, due to moha and vipalasa, People see things as nicha, as permanent, whereas they are anicca, impermanent. They see things as sukha, happiness, pleasure, whereas things are dukkha, unsatisfactoriness, suffering. They see things as atta, endowed with the self, whereas things are Anatta, being devoid of a so-called uh, self. And beings see things as Sara, uh, having an essence, 
whereas things are without an essence, asara. And so the first three uh, characteristics are the most obvious one, and these we know as the general characteristics, anicca, dukkha, and anatta, impermanence, unsatisfactoriness, and non-self. And these three general characteristics, they are closely interwoven or interrelated. It is said that with the profound understanding of one of these three general characteristics, one would also come and understand the other two of them. And in regard to these three three characteristics, how one has to view them, the Buddha very often used uh, these questions. And also Joseph has mentioned them in his talk last night. But still, I'll go through it once more. So bhikkhus, or meditators, directed to all of us, what do you think? Is material form permanent? or impermanent, impermanent, venerable sir. Because meditators is feeling, perception, mental formations, consciousness, permanent or impermanent, impermanent, venerable sir. Then, is what is impermanent suffering or happiness? Suffering, Venerable Sir. Is what is impermanent, suffering, and subject to change, fit to be regarded thus? This is mine, this I am, this is myself. No, Venerable Sir. This is a very... um, interesting set of questions and answers and you know to really understand we have to go deeper and deeper and deeper and you know sometimes it would be even good to take this uh, as a mantra go through it again and again and again or you could um, play with it like in your meditation when a certain object arises a thought or a pain or an emotion. And so in regard to this thought or emotion or pain, uh, apply these questions. And I think all of you have enough uh, experience in meditation that you have come to see somehow that thoughts, emotions and pains are not everlasting. You have you've all seen that at some stage they are no longer there, that they have disappeared. And so then when another thought has arisen or another emotion or another nasty pain, then apply these questions in regard to that very thought or pain. And when you come to the last uh, line, so is this fit to be regarded as This is mine, this I am, this is myself. If you probe very deeply, then you come to see, really, no. And, you know, then it's like what seems to be so solid or what you identify with, like this huge balloon, you know, distortion, uh, ignorance is like inflating all these different concepts. And so you have this big balloon in front of you. And so with the uh, mindfulness needle, just poke into this balloon. This is not myself. It's gone. So the Buddha stressed time and again the importance of seeing the impermanence 
of conditioned phenomena, of seeing the arising and disappearance of these mental and physical processes. Based on this understanding, then one will come to see the other two characteristics, those of unsatisfactoriness and non-self or impersonality. This understanding of impermanence proves to be the gateway to liberation. This is one of the fundamental insights that give rise for further insights and understanding to arise. If one does not uh, deeply understand this impermanent nature of conditioned phenomena, then it will be extremely difficult to understand their unsatisfactory and impersonal nature. Usually, people are blind to the fact that things are uh, impermanent, that things change and disappear. Well, somehow they know that uh, things change and pass away, but they always think that this was so because something went wrong. And so they assume that if things would go right, then they would not change and disappear. So then things would last. They would be uh, permanent. And so with this hope, people still try uh, very hard to make things last. But, and one day, so they think, they will get it right. They will get it permanent, unchanging. In the Bhagavad Gita, this is the great ancient (coughs) Indian epic, the following question is raised. Among the wonders of this world, which is the most wonderful? What would you think? The answer there is that no human being believes in his or her own death although he or she sees other people dying all the time. Although people know that death and tragedies are occurring all around them, they still are thunderstruck and unable to accept it when it actually happens to them. However, the Buddha stated very, very clearly that all conditioned phenomena are impermanent, that they are subject to arising and disappearance. In the Dhammapada, we have this verse. When you see with discernment or wisdom, all conditioned phenomena are impermanent Then you grow disenchanted with this suffering. This is the way to purity. So during my last talk about impermanence two days ago, we looked at impermanence in a more general way. The impermanence and change in outer conditions such as the weather or the the seasons, formations of mountains or continents. We also looked at impermanence and change in our life. And we had some examples of impermanence regarding to physical sensations or emotional states. So today we'll have a closer look at what is called impermanence. Because impermanence, this is actually a concept. 
it's a name or a label given to a certain set of experiences. But impermanence as such is just an intellectualization of some actual experience. And so let's see what is the actual experience of impermanence or how then we come to the conclusion and to the concept impermanence. Or how is this thing called impermanence directly and personally experienced? So, impermanence is uh, defined in regard to its characteristic. And this definition is from the Visuddhi Magga. There it says, the characteristic of impermanence is the arising, passing away, and change, or the non-existence after having arisen. Phenomena that have arisen do not stay in their initial, initial state due to change, but disappear that very moment. So for the characteristic of impermanence, two kinds of definitions are given. The first one uh, says the arising and passing away of phenomena, or seeing the change. And this one um, can be seen at the third stage of insight knowledge. And uh, also, it becomes then a bit more obvious at the fourth stage of insight knowledge. The third one is uh, when the three general characteristics are starting to be understood, when one starts to see impermanence, suffering, and non-self. And the fourth stage of insight knowledge is the insight knowledge of arising and passing away. So then this characteristic of impermanence really starts to become quite clear and obvious. Then the second part of this definition, uh, the non-existence after having arisen, this becomes especially apparent at the higher stages of insight knowledge. And it starts with the insight knowledge of dissolution. So when one sees the constant dissolution uh, of phenomena, so seeing the non-existence after uh, having arisen, seeing it dissolve, disappear, then it's no longer there. So then one sees it's no longer existing before it was uh, existing, it had arisen. In one of the commentaries, um, there are four ways mentioned of how this characteristic of impermanence can be seen and understood. So, one of these ways is seeing uh, phenomena, conditioned phenomena, as being subject arising and passing away. So this is quite straightforward, obvious, yes. One sees an object arising and then passing away. Another way how it can be seen is uh, through change, meaning that it is not the same as before. One sees something has changed. And uh, to give a, quite a worldly example uh, how change can be seen, this is the answer given by the Buddha to one of his monks who was called 
Nagita. So the Buddha told him, Truly, Nagita, eating, drinking, chewing and savoring and in excrement and urine. <laughs> this is the outcome. This is the change and alteration that happens to what we eat and drink. And then the Buddha went a bit further, always uh, trying to really bring an understanding to whoever he was talking to. And so then the Buddha continued to say, through change and alteration in what one loves, there arises sorrow, lamentation, pain, grief and despair. This is its outcome. So, you know, when you take the next meal, reflect about this change. When you have the food in front of you, you know, in a few hours, half a day later, what will be their outcome? So another way that characterizes impermanence is its momentariness. So the fact that things are very short-lived. And two days in my talk, when I talked about the impermanence on the subatomic level, we have seen that there scientists uh, look in increments of attoseconds or yoktoseconds, zettoseconds. Very fleeting, very momentary. And the fourth way that characterizes impermanence is defined as denying permanence. So, acknowledging the non-permanence. Phenomena that arise dependent on causes and conditions are called conditioned phenomena. In Pali, it's called Sankara, Sankara Dhamma or Sankata Dhamma. And so all these conditioned phenomena, they are marked by appearance, presence and disappearance. These are the three phases one can make out. They appear, they arise, they are present, they last, even if it's very momentary, and then they disappear, pass away. And so these three phases, they can also be called birth, aging, and death. This is from one of the uh, sub-commentaries. There it says, Appearance, presence and disappearance characterize the impermanence of all conditioned phenomena. However, the first two are not as obviously a characteristic of impermanence as the last. Therefore, it is said that disappearance is the outstanding portion of impermanence. So by just uh, knowing or observing the appearance and presence of a conditioned phenomenon, their impermanent nature is not yet so very obvious. Only when you observe and understand the disappearance or the end or the passing away of phenomena, then the impermanent nature will be clearly understood. Because it is at this moment of disappearance or passing away that this impermanent nature becomes easily apparent. So among these three phases of appearance, presence and 
his appearance, this characteristic of impermanence becomes especially obvious at the last stage when it disappears. And so this is why it is said that the that disappearance is the outstanding characteristic portion of impermanence. And so this explanation points to the fact that for a deep understanding of impermanence, we need to see the disappearance of phenomena. We, see to, we need to understand the non-existence after having arisen. And so this point is really crucial for our understanding to become deep and penetrating. And this is why the instructions in Vipassana meditation is to observe the object as long as it is present and to observe it mindfully until it has disappeared. Because the mind needs to see the disappearance very clearly and unmistakably. And the mind also needs to see it repeatedly, again and again. So to let sink this understanding deeper and deeper into our mind. So that this experience that things cease to exist, that they disappear, that they no longer exist, um, that this experience starts to make a really deep and uh, profound impression on our mind. If a meditator pulls the mind back to the primary object after, let's say, a thought has arisen, then the meditator cannot directly and clearly see the disappearance of that thought. By pulling back the mind to the primary object, the rising and falling movement, then thought will somehow disappear and be no longer present. But the meditator then has not been able to see the actual disappearance of the thought. So, for insight uh, to arise, and especially for the understanding of impermanence, the arising and disappearance of objects must be clearly observed. So, in this context, it may now become clear why one should not pull back the mind to the primary object when another object such as a thought or a bodily sensation has arisen. The instruction to observe the object until it has disappeared aims at realizing the understanding the impermanent nature of conditioned phenomena. The same applies to any other object. We only can see the passing away, the disappearance of an object, when we stay with it and when we observe it until it disappears. Let's say while we are observing the rising and falling movement of the abdomen, an itchy sensation appears on your right arm because it's itchy and unpleasant, you will immediately be aware of it. So you will see its appearance and arising. If your mindfulness is not uh, very strong, then you might immediately scratch to get the relief from this itchy sensation. And after having scratched, you simply uh, bring the mind back to the abdomen and continue to observe that. And then somehow the remaining itchy sensation 
will uh, disappear by itself. If your mindfulness is a bit better, then you might direct your uh, awareness to that itchy sensation and observe it. Because after, after all, this is the instruction uh, how to deal with an object. But after a while of observing the itchiness, it is still there and it's really unpleasant and it starts uh, to be bothering. And so then to get away from this uncomfortable and bothering sensation, uh, you might pull back the mind to the primary object. And also in this case, then somehow the itchiness will wear off and disappear. But without you being aware of it. The only way to clearly see the passing away of this itchiness is to be aware of it as long as it is happening. Then, when you are uh, continuously observing it at one stage, you will see it's fading away. You will see the disappearance of this itchy sensation. Only when the mind can directly observe the disappearance of an object will the insight into impermanence uh, arise and become clear. So the mind needs to clearly see the non-existence after having arisen. If the mind does not see the disappearance of an object clearly, because the mind had been pulled back to the primary object, then the concept or idea of permanence and continuity is not broken. And so then the mind, uh, that means moha and vipalasa, then the mind assumes this thought or pain or itchiness uh, to be lasting and permanent. Another way of uh, realizing impermanence can be seen by observing movement. So let's take the example of observing the lifting movement in the walking meditation. Initially, when meditators are observing the lifting movement, they are aware of the foot being lifted. But at the beginning of the practice, neither the very beginning of this lifting movement is clearly seen, nor the end or the uh, disappearance of that lifting movement. It's just a general knowledge of the foot being lifted. And then somehow the next thing that meditators know is that the foot is moving forward. When mindfulness becomes a bit better and the concentration a bit deeper, then the meditator will become clearly aware of the moment when the foot starts to lift. So then the arising, the starting of this lifting movement is clearly seen, but not yet its disappearance. It needs a further slowing down of the movement and a more detailed observation for the disappearance of this lifting movement to become clear. With a further refinement and further slowing down uh, of the movement, then the lifting movement can be seen from its very beginning to its very end. And so then the meditator can see the start of the movement, its arising, the beginning, see its presence 
as it is happening and also see very clearly when the lifting movement comes to an end, when it stops, when it's uh, no longer happening. And so, when one comes to clearly see the end of that movement, see that that lifting movement has disappeared, it's no longer happening, then this can be quite a powerful moment, because then one sees this movement is completely gone, it's no longer there. And this lifting movement has dissolved with leaving no trace. And so then, after having clearly seen the disappearance, the ending of the lifting movement, the next thing that the meditator observes is the pushing forward movement. And also there, then it becomes very obvious uh, that this forward movement has a beginning. It arises. And so the sense or the, uh, the concept of permanence or continuity has been broken because the lifting movement has not somehow uh, gone into the pushing movement, but one comes to clearly see the lifting movement is one thing, and then the pushing movement is a completely different thing. It's a new thing. Later on in the practice, when mindfulness and concentration further deepen, become stronger, then a meditator can see, for example, the lifting movement as a series of tiny little movements. And when mindfulness becomes really sharp and penetrating, then these tiny little movements can be clearly seen as arising and passing away one after the other. So then even these tiny little movements are separate movements, separate entities that arise and disappear one after the other. And one can clearly see the complete disappearance of one tiny movement uh, before the next tiny little movement arises. And so, in this way, the impermanent nature of movement becomes strikingly obvious. A movement arises, and a moment later it's gone, completely gone. And so, when one sees that it is completely gone, this makes uh, non-existence after having arisen very apparent. So, when we observe phenomena, uh, when we see them as arising and passing away, then in this way we are contemplating impermanence. And so, this contemplation of impermanence how does it actually happen? Because as we said, impermanence itself is a concept. What do we see as impermanent or how can this imper impermanence be personally, directly experienced? So this is the definition of the contemplation of impermanence. It says, the contemplation of impermanence refers to seeing conditioned phenomena arising and passing away while observing their individual characteristics.
So in this definition, two issues are clarified. The first one is that the contemplation of impermanence refers to seeing conditioned phenomena as arising and passing away. So as we have seen, the actual observation of phenomena, how they arise and disappear, is needed to realize this impermanent nature. Now, the second issue uh, that is clarified points to the way that impermanent nature can be seen. And how can it be seen? As it is stated, while observing their individual characteristics. As we have seen earlier, conditioned phenomena have their individual characteristics and general characteristics. And so these individual characteristics are things like hardness, softness, heat, cold, movement, vibration, fluidity, and so on. And so these individual characteristics are found, are to be found in material, physical phenomena in our body or in external material phenomena. And the individual characteristics of mental phenomena, of mental states, are qualities such as stickiness, that's the individual characteristic of loba, or non-distraction, the characteristics of ekagata, one-pointedness, or mental blindness, is the individual characteristic of moha, ignorance. Or trusting is the individual characteristic of sata, faith, confidence. So that makes it clear that the impermanence uh, is realized through the careful observation of whatever is arising in body and mind in regard to their individual characteristics. As we are mindfully observing a sensation uh, in the body, for example, we are aware of heat or pressure or vibration. And when we see these sensations of heat, vibrations, or pressure arising and passing away, then in this way we see their impersonal uh, nature. So this understanding is not an intellectual or an analytical understanding, but it's rather an intuitive or nonverbal realization. And only when this understanding of impermanence, seeing the arising and passing away of phenomena, only when it happens on a non-intellectual level can we call this understanding insight or insight knowledge. This insight knowledge has a transformative power that is not to be found in intellectual or analytical understanding. If an intellectual or analytical understanding of impermanence were enough, then many intelligent and bright people would have long understood it. And then they would have become fully liberated. But, as we know, this is not the case. So, 
to deeply understand this impermanent nature, we have to observe any object in our body and mind and see the constant arising and disappearance of heat or pressure or stickiness or trusting. It's actually impossible to observe impermanence because, as I said, impermanence is a concept or a label that we give to a certain set of happenings or experiences. But as we have seen, when a certain thing or object arises and then disappears, this we call impermanence. This is an explanation of the subcommentary. By themselves, these characteristics are merely concepts. If the three characteristics are perceived independently from phenomena as impermanence, unsatisfactoriness and non-self, then they should be considered concepts and not something that truly exists in the ultimate sense. In the ultimate sense, it is impossible to find any characteristics that are separate from the actual phenomena. So to deeply or intuitively understand impermanence, we must see and observe the arising and disappearance of the objects. There is no other way to do it. And once this genuine insight or understanding of impermanence has developed, then the two other general characteristics, uh, unsatisfactoriness and non-self, nature will also become uh, apparent and clear. And with this understanding of the three general characteristics, then a meditator becomes disenchanted with and wary of this flawed phenomenon. And that is when the desire for liberation arises. And this desire for liberation, uh, this is actually another stage of the insight knowledges. So this desire for liberation refers to the desire to be free from this oppressive conditioned phenomena, like body and mind, because they are marked by these three general characteristics. And how this comes uh, about, there is an analogy. And so it says, suppose a monk wishes to buy an arms bone. He is initially pleased when he sees a bowl seller bringing him a bowl. However, if he examines the bowl and finds that there are three holes in it, then the monk loses interest, not in the holes, but in the bowl itself. In the same way, when one sees the three characteristics, one loses interest in conditioned phenomena. Thus, through the insight that takes conditioned phenomena as its object, one emerges or becomes free from those very uh, phenomena. <clears throat> so this is how one wants to get rid of conditioned phenomena that are connected with these three characteristics 
by experiencing these very three characteristics. So this monk who decided to buy an arms bowl found out that after inspecting it that it had three holes. And seeing the three holes in the arms bowl he no longer uh, wanted to get this arms bowl. He was no longer uh, interested in it. But before he saw the three holes in the bowl he wanted to get it. He had an interest in this bowl. And so after he had uh, noticed the three holes in the bowl, then his not wanting uh, was only connected to the bowl. It was not connected to the three holes. Because initially the wanting or the desire was only for the bowl, the arms bowl. And so in the same way, people are usually attached to conditioned phenomena, to the body and the mind, before these three general characteristics are seen. People are attached to the body, to the mind. Um, People are not attached to the Uh, three characteristics. There is no attachment to the impermanence or uh, suffering or non-self nature. And so when one comes to see these three characteristics, then the desire to get free from conditioned phenomena is only connected to these conditioned phenomena themselves. But these phenomena are bound up with these three characteristics. In the commentaries there is another uh, example of how this can be uh, understood. So it said that once a meditator clearly sees the flawed nature of conditioned phenomena, when a meditator clearly sees the three characteristics, then the meditator becomes uh, repulsed by this conditioned phenomena. And this repulsion towards this uh, conditioned phenomena is like if a rotten carcass would be hung around that meditator's neck. So, meditator, that person, would immediately want to get rid of that rotten carcass around his or her neck. And so, in the same way, realizing the repulsive nature of these uh, conditioned phenomena then a meditator wants to get rid of them, wants to become free uh, from them. So this contemplation of impermanence starts to develop and arise once uh, the continuity uh, of phenomena is broken. So when this Uh, concept of things being permanent or continuous starts to fall apart. For example, when we see something repeatedly or over an extended period of time, let's say we see a flower, then we think that the thing we are seeing right now the flower, is the same as it was a few moments before. And the same kind of delusion also happens when we hear a sound, smell an odor, taste some taste, touch some things. 
or think something. So this concept or this idea or this belief in the continuity of phenomena makes us think that what we see now was the same as we saw a few moments before and likewise with the other senses. And so because the object is obscured by this idea of continuity, then we are unable to see the impermanent nature of this object. And so we think that it lasts forever. The Visuddhimagga uh, explains this in this way. Impermanence does not become apparent because it is hidden by the continuity. Due to the lack of contemplation of arising and passing away. If arising and passing away are seen and continuity is broken, the characteristic of impermanence becomes apparent in its true nature. So if we observe phenomena uninterruptedly, then we can see them occurring one by one, and this, uh, we are able to distinguish successive uh, phenomena. So then we are able to distinguish the initial arising and the final disappearance of each single object. And so then it becomes very obvious that the previous phenomenon is one thing and the following phenomenon is another thing. So they are clearly seen as separate things and they are not seen as things that are joined together. this sense of continuity or uh, permanence uh, is very strong and sometimes in the initial uh, stage of the meditation practice when meditators do the walking meditation they observe the steps left, right, left, right or even as lifting, pushing, dropping, lifting, pushing, dropping. And then sometimes they come to the interview and say that in the walking meditation they observe the movement of the foot as lifting, pushing, dropping and that they and then they say that they really enjoy doing the walking meditation because this movement is so nice. It's just flowing. There is this flow in the walking meditation uh, as they walk up and down. And there's a nice rhythm to it. And sometimes meditators can almost get into a trance just being carried by this uh, nice uh, rhythm. One thing goes into the other. And even at the end of the path, they do not stop because they don't want to break this flow. They just simply turn around and continue uh, to walk back. Of course, it's a nice experience, but Moha and Vipalasa are very happy (laughs) because to see movement as just one continuous thing is not really according to reality. But Mohan Vipalasa are happy to have uh, their victims see it in that way. So, as a result of seeing phenomena in separate entities that are not joined uh, together, 
So then the continuity uh, is broken up. And so then the characteristic of impermanence, seeing appearance, presence and disappearance, or the non-existence after having arisen, then this characteristic of impermanence starts to become quite obvious and clear. Tulku Orgyen Rinpoche was a highly esteemed and beloved teacher in the Tibetan Buddhist tradition and he passed away a number of years ago and at one time he was asked about the signs of accomplishment in meditation and so among other things that he mentioned was that the sign of accomplishment in meditation practice was to have an acute sense of impermanence I will finish this talk now. May all of you get an acute sense of permanence and may this become the gateway to full liberation. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.